Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manucheri and today's guest is the wonderful Dr. Zainab Al-Mukhtar and in today's episode we talk to Dr. Zainab about her passion for aesthetic dentistry as well as facial aesthetics and how she manages to do both beautifully in her private practice in London and she talks to us about how she manages her career and her personal life managing a young family and essentially how she manages to balance it all together. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into it. Hi Dr. Zainab, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi Shadi, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I know we've been wanting to do this for a very long time, so I'm very happy that we're finally getting around to doing it. Um, Before we start, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? Sure. So um, my name is Zainab Al-Mukhtar. I qualified as a dentist in 2010 and I worked in NHS dentistry for about five years. And then I moved and transitioned into private practice, which suited me a lot better because of the nature of what I really enjoy doing, which is predominantly aesthetic dentistry and facial aesthetics. So about three years postgraduate, I started training in aesthetic dentistry. That then took me towards facial aesthetics. And um, long story short, I loved both and didn't know, you know, how I was going to manage doing both. And thought I would do both for a few years and then decide. But actually, as the years went on, I found that I loved them both equally and that actually there was a middle ground whereby I could use both to treat my patients, but it's been a long and hard slog training in both fields, um, but thoroughly enjoy it. And now that's what I do. Um, and I co-own a, a, a private practice, Harrow on the Hill Dental and Facial Aesthetics, which is kind of really catered for that dual approach. Um, and I own it along with my husband, Ahmed, who you've interviewed before as well. <laughs> Yeah, he's been on the I'm also, Yeah. And I'm also a mum of two very small children, which makes life even more of a slug, but also so, so interesting and rewarding and lovely. Um, and that sums me up in a nutshell. Wow. I feel like I have so many questions to ask you, so I have to pace <laughs> myself of how um, how I stage them. So we've seen a lot of dentists go into facial aesthetics and do facial aesthetics only your sister included and they do very very well and they're very successful you're very unique in that you have equal I feel like you have equal passion for advanced facial aesthetics as well as aesthetic Mm. dentistry now either of those Mm. things are very very difficult to do Mm. on on their own and I think mixing them is even more difficult because you kind of have to put Mm. your facial aesthetics hat on and then your dental hat on so how did you decide that you were going to do both and how do you manage to balance them so well together? So I I decided that I was going to continue with both because I couldn't justify leaving dentistry. I I really enjoyed facial aesthetics. It was really something that was kicking off for me. Um, And I really found it so rewarding, you know, the reactions that people have after treatment, but I also found the same with aesthetic dentistry. Mm. So You know, I evaluated this a lot and I just found that after really putting my heart and soul into getting into dentistry in the first place, Mm. going through dental school, going through all the training after, actually still enjoying doing smile makeovers, I couldn't see the reason to leave it. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to find the middle ground between between the two. And 
it got to a stage where I was like, why do I actually have to choose? I mean, you have GPs out there who do facial aesthetics. They'll do maybe one or two days GP. And then the rest of the time, they're doing facial aesthetics. You have surgeons out there who are doing that. You have dermatologists who are doing that. Why do dentists have to choose? Mm. It becomes more about how do you just merge the two? And I think actually we as dentists are very fortunate that we can totally merge the two. Whereas with sometimes GP life where you're dealing with disease a lot, mm. um, and it can be very different to, to facial aesthetics. By contrast, dentistry, actually there's so many similarities. You're already working in the head and neck region. You're almost you know, a, a lot of the time looking at the aesthetic aspect of what you do, particularly if you're in the private um, uh, pathway of dentistry. And if that's what you attract and people are asking for smile makeovers, your aesthetic hat is still on all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I found that they were not so separate, like, you know, maybe the title suggests. And actually, they are all part of dentistry, still part of facial aesthetics, the smile, the teeth that's within the face. Mm -hmm. So actually, I found that we were really, we're really lucky that we're able to marry the two very, very well, that they gel so well together. The challenge lies in time management because it, it really comes down to the training. Both are very intense disciplines. Um, and the other thing is just management of the diary, but it's all possible. Um, and the way I've done it is that I spent a few years focusing on doing lots of dental courses. And then a few years focusing on doing a lot of facial aesthetic courses to a point where I felt comfortable in both fields. So I kind of go full swing in one, full swing in the other, felt comfortable with both. And now it's kind of I'm doing maintenance, keeping up to date. Mm -hmm. And yes, sometimes it can still be overwhelming because both fields are so rapidly evolving. But that's where you really need to not get caught up in the hamster wheel of the fact that there's always new products and new this and new that. You have to kind of align with what do my patients need and want? What's evidence-based? What's serving you know, my clinic and my clientele? And actually, once you filter these things out, you can be quite, um, you can be quite decisive with what you want to continue de your development with. So you don't have to adopt absolutely everything there is in mm -hmm. the market. You need to be selective so that you're a master of a few things rather than a jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and the management of the diary is down to dividing the days so when you came in for example the other day it was a little bit of a mix you saw mm -hmm. but it was predominantly a facial day and then I have some days that are predominantly dental and I might have a few facial aesthetic patients creep in to the into the schedule and um, I do like to separate them but and that's purely to be honest to do more with the preparation of the appointments mm -hmm. more from the nurse's side and um and to a small extent, just me wearing the dental or the facial hat. But I'm also quite comfortable with them being quite mixed because it makes the day quite interesting. Mm. And again, they're quite, in, you know, they're quite interconnected. So um, we have patients who are coming in for both anyway, and we'll just be doing things at different at different points in the in the journey of their treatment. So yeah, I mean, we kind of just make it work. Um, and we, I think, we need to look at the big positive, which is that as dentists, we can incorporate this into our practice with a lot of ease and they're not so separate as the title suggests and that would be my my bottom line on that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as you mentioned you were kind enough to let me come and shadow you uh, a week ago and it was a very very interesting day and I feel like you have it you're very organized in the way you do things because I think when you're starting in facial aesthetics it's it's very disjointed you're you know you think about you have to do consent you have to do photos you have to do preparations and I felt like you have the system down to a T so it makes things a lot smoother um in terms of dividing the diary 
would you say you do a certain percentage of uh, dentistry or facial aesthetics or it's it's about a 50 50 mix there was a point when it was an exact kind of 50 50 mix i mm. think really looking at the diary but i think it's steered towards a little bit more facial aesthetics now than dentistry and that's purely because we have other dentists in the practice, whereas I'm the main facial aesthetic uh, injector. And um, and so, you know, the, the demand for facial aesthetics can only be met by me at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, it's, you know, when people call, they have the option of a three dentists, but when it's facial aesthetics, it's mainly me. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, it's geared more towards facial aesthetics. But I think you know, I still, I still think that if I had more facial aesthetic, if if I expanded my facial aesthetics team, I'd probably go back to a, a 50-50 and I'd be really happy doing that. I don't see why it has to be one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just really organic. Sometimes it will steer this way or that way. Yeah. And with facial aesthetics, it's very interesting because obviously it's not just injectables, you know, injectables are a part of what you do with facial aesthetics. A lot mm. of it is to do with these exciting devices and lasers and microneedling. And you yeah. have a therapist in the practice. <laughs> How do you decide yeah. what, because as you were saying, you don't have to do everything. You kind of have to focus mm. on what you want to do. And sometimes you do refer people um, on for certain treatments that you might not be able to offer at the practice. Um how did you decide what to introduce with your therapist, for example, in terms of the devices that you use, the skin sort of analysis and treatments and things like that? How do you decide what to bring into the practice? Yeah, so I'm a very step-by-step progressive kind of person. I'll do one thing at a time. So what I identified was that at, at, there was a certain point where I was inundated and burning out doing too much, uh, you know, dentistry, injectables and skin. And you you cannot divide yourself too much. There mm-hmm. is a point at which you need to realize that there is um, it's not sensible, and something's got to give. So um, it, the next you know natural step was to have an aesthetic therapist who can do all the skin consultations and create bespoke skin treatment plans. But she cannot prescribe certain skincare, so I'm still involved in giving a second opinion, double checking. Um, and prescribing certain things but uh, for the large part of it is she is involved with the patient and um, uh, and when we employed her and she's amazing she's she's been part of the team years ago and then went off to loads of training worked for other clinics and now has come back given that we've now rebranded as very much a facial and dental it suits her more and she's back and and so I know her for like the last 11 12 years so um when she came, I knew she was going to be amazing. I wanted to kind of really elevate the skin consultations mm-hmm. and thought the next best thing is to really give her a tool that's going to help and take things to the next level. And that's why we decided to get the skin analysis device, um, knowing that we're probably going to be doing more skin now that we have her. So that made sense. The skin needling we brought in actually about two years ago. Uh, but again, because I was doing so much, you know, it wasn't something I could physically, it wasn't feasible for me to do much of. And and that's more something that's her forte and that she can do um, and use the time wisely to do. So, so that's something that's on her menu of treatments. Um, and then I wanted to just re- really remain largely at this point uh, into injectables. But my long-term plan is to continue to get a few more devices. But again, I'm really one of those people that will, double check my market, double check my mm. clientele, really see what they need. So I'm in a, 
I'm in the, I'm actually at that point now where I'm kind of really looking at what people's needs are because there's no point buying a device and then it's sitting there. You know, mm. so I want to see what people, my my clients actually are requesting. What am I? What do I find myself referring out a lot? And that will be my next thing. Um, and and also, you know, it takes time to build a list. Um, we have the patience, but people need to get to know Parisa, our aesthetic therapist. You know, I think what we've seen is that people really research who they're coming to see now they want to they want to have met them online to some extent they want to know who they're coming to see it's not a case of come and see our aesthetic therapist and it's as simple mm -hmm. as that they really want an intro to who this person is so we're in the process of kind of making her visible and getting her known and what works well is when i introduce her to my patients mm -hmm. you know directly um and so that's where we are now so until you know until that has until I feel that she's really out there enough, um, we won't just keep buying devices. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm quite steady like that. Yeah, that's very sensible because it, they are big investments and, you know, space is, is a big thing and they are pretty, space as well. it's pretty yeah. big. So um, that's definitely the sensible way to do it. Let's go back to when you were doing NHS dentistry, because a lot of people um, might be in that situation now. And as we know, NHS mm. dentistry has a lot of, pressures and a lot of limitations so there might be lots of people out there in that situation now I know we've both been in that situation of doing NHS mm -hmm. dentistry but wanting to come out of it to be able to do more aesthetic dentistry be able to do facial aesthetics um, and I know you've worked very very hard at the beginning to build that reputation and build the list to be able to slowly slowly move away from the NHS how do you how, what would be your advice to people in that situation now and how did you manage to sort of slowly phase out the nhs and focus more on what you had the passion for yeah so actually what i started doing is my, my nhs work was where i developed an attitude towards dentistry so you know and i think that's really important i think nhs any role can be really valuable because you develop a certain attitude work ethic so it doesn't really at the very beginning matter what you're doing as long as you're doing it really well therefore your attitude becomes that i want to deliver high quality work your attitude becomes that you know you you will not you know finish a treatment until you're really pleased with it so that's when i realized that I think I have the qualities to do private work because what I found myself doing, for example, was a patient would come in with a fractured front tooth, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock on a Friday evening. You kind of want to go home at this point. It's a, you know, it's a task. You think I'll just, you know, I'll build it up to a, to a decent level. It's a, it's a child. I remember a certain case, it's a child, you know, it doesn't have to be like a veneer level kind of composite veneer, you know, like a porcelain veneer, but at the time, I remember spending literally like an hour and a half just trying to get it as perfect as it could. And when I finished that, my nurse looked at me, she's like, you literally didn't have to do that. Like you've, you've taken this to like private level dentistry. And I'm like, I know, but it's really not satisfying if mm -hmm. I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I found myself doing that a lot. And as a result, I was running behind schedule sometimes, you know, going over my lunch breaks. As you probably see I do now as well. Still. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was kind of, me realizing that this is my attitude towards my work this is what i want to achieve and anything less is not really satisfying it's not satisfying for me and therefore like i don't just don't feel good about it um and i was developing my artistic skills through doing this this kind of dentistry even if it was an nhs case and even if i was doing a posterior composite i do it really well sometimes i do a posterior composite on the nhs and 
I, I over time just realized that this is not sustainable. Like I can't deliver this quality work and 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 work for the NHS. It's it's not feasible. And I started doing my aesthetic training, aesthetic dentistry training. So I did a year-long um, aesthetic dentistry course to really get a broad overview of all the avenues in, in aesthetic dentistry, what I need to know, um, you know, all the fundamentals. And I did that with Tipton Training Academy. Um, and it confirmed to me that now I've invested my time in that. It was once a month I used to travel to Manchester with lots of reading and, and practicing in between. I realized, yeah, I've invested all this and now it makes sense to, to transition. So my transition was my mom owned an, uh, this private practice and my transition was not done like automatically. I wasn't just given the opportunity. She mm. actually really, she was like, you, you can only come and work on, if I've seen your work. So I went in once a week and she would give me like the most basic, you know, cases and it's kind of pop in casually, stand over my shoulder for about five minutes while she's chatting, kind of see what I'm doing, how I do it, how I talk to patients. And once she saw that, she was like, you know, you can increase your days here. Um, and so I got the seal of approval from mom and she let me increase my days. And I was fortunate to have that opportunity. But had I not had that opportunity, I would have looked for a private role. I think by that point, it made absolute sense. Um, and I think the way I did it was was good in that, you know, I, I transitioned from one day to like three days and mm -hmm. gradually built it up. I stayed at about three days private dentistry, two days NHS for for a few years and then after I had my first child which now six years ago after I had her I went back to just private and stayed in the private uh, in the private practice that my mom owned um, and I was doing about four days a week there really long days and I built up a list um, and it, it started off being an implant practice her practice was an, it predominantly dental implants she was a dental implant surgeon um, and it didn't there wasn't a lot of cosmetic dentistry going on but I was sharing a lot of my work, you know, my cases here or there, I was sharing them and talking about minimally invasive dentistry at a time when there wasn't what there is now, which is, you know, a whole load of this stuff on Instagram. But there wasn't back then. And this is like 2014, 15. This is about, yeah, 2015, 16. And um, so people were interested. They want to see what's this minimally invasive, you know, no cutting mm -hmm. of teeth, you know, so people come to see me. And that's the point where I started to build the list, got really busy. I also started sharing my facial aesthetic work, breaking the myth that everything had to look, you know, at that time, there was a lot of bad press about facial aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And then there was a few people like myself sharing very natural looking results that attracted a lot of patients. Suddenly I was building this list. It was so busy and I was working like easily 11, 12 hour days. Um, and then it got to a stage where my mom was like, well, you've literally like, you're running things really well here. I'm going to retire. And she's on to the next chapter of her life and moved abroad where she built a retirement home. And I literally held the fort, but I was still an associate. And then um, a few years after that, you know, I literally found that I had changed the niche of this practice. We were no longer really attracting the dental implant surgery patients. We were attracting all the, the facial aesthetic and, and cosmetic dentistry patients, did some more uh, cosmetic dentistry training, pushed myself more in facial aesthetics, got really comfortable, saw that actually I've made this practice successful in my field. Um, and when my mom was wanting to sell, I said, give me another year. I just need to really consolidate what I'm doing here because I didn't want to become about business. I wanted to make mm. sure my first, first, I was really mastering my craft, that I'd really built good relationships, that I was focused on the patients. 
And then when I was ready, I said, yeah, we're, we're happy to. And, and I did that with Ahmed, my husband. So that's kind of the whole, that's the journey. So the point is that on the NHS, and going back to your question, on the NHS, I think there's still really valuable years. And what I see now is that people come out of dental school and they quite soon want to, want to go into private practice. And I see nothing wrong with that. But what I do think is that there are certain things that you gain from the NHS that are hard to gain from being in private practice. So if you're going to go into private practice, still keep your foot in the NHS a bit. Is my advice for the first, let's say, about two years at least, because two, three maybe, because that's where you, you learn those really good interpersonal skills, can make decisions under pressure, um, you start to really find out what you enjoy. Um, and I think you really develop a lot um, of those soft skills that make you a good dentist. It's not all about just what you achieve that the patient mm. may not even see if it's the back of the mouth. It's how you deal with patients. And I think you can get a lot of that from being really busy in NHS practices, really seeing loads of different walks of life, um, seeing people, dental phobias, often people coming in with different stories. And you're going to see like 20, 30 patients a day. Mm. So you're going to gain so much that mm. is less easy to gain in private practice. So that's my that's my take from that. And I'm glad that I invested that time in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I think right now there's a lot of pressure for people graduating now with Instagram and social media. They see all of this beautiful work on, on social media and they suddenly think that they need to be at that level straight away and they need to be doing that kind yeah. of work straight away, which is very, very difficult. People like yourself who have spent years and years doing lots of courses, doing lots of actual treatment, getting better, and, you know, we're all, we're all constantly improving, even from what we were doing last week, we might be doing something differently now that it's giving better results. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure f to do that for new graduates, but I agree with you. I think you need to have a certain level of experience um, in order mm -hmm. to be able to move on. And that's not necessarily clinical experience. It could be those interpersonal mm -hmm. skills. It could be communication skills. Yeah. Being in stressful situations, I mean, I mm. did a max fax job and it doesn't, I don't think it helps me a lot now in my day to day, but having gained those skills of dealing with stressful situations, being able to talk to lots of different people, teamwork, all of this stuff that comes into it that at the time you might not realize it really, really does help you in your day to day life. And any experience is good. So I think. Yeah. People just need to not underestimate the importance of experience and don't be so rushed to to rush into something that you see people doing on Instagram because they've spent years and years building that. Um, and you don't I agree. see that yeah. when you look at something. There is, there, there is so much pressure. There's so much. And I, I really feel for the for the undergrads now who are already as undergrads looking. I mean, yeah. I get undergrads saying, Can I come and shadow and facial aesthetics? I can't get my head around it. I understand. Yeah. They want to get an experience of, you know, broad experience and fun things that what appears to be fun and exciting and mm. rewarding to look at. Um, but I worry that it's so distracting from the core of what, you know, dentistry yeah. used to be and what we graduated with before we had all these distractions. I, I, you know, I think it's much harder now to decipher what they want to do. They see the facial aesthetics. They see the, the cosmetic dentistry as glamorous. Mm. They don't realize that for years there was you know, the slogging that, you know, we spent time understanding patients' motivations, the psychology and dentistry, dealing with anxiety and the stressful situations like you just brought mm. up. That's a big one because there will there will uh, occasionally be these stressful situations in, in private practice. 
And if it makes you buckle, it's not great. If you've got that experience, though, in dealing with those things like second nature, because you did it when you were an NHS dentist or in MaxFax, which is incredibly stressful, um, as far as I'm aware, then uh, you're well equipped. So I I agree. I think we're on the same page with that. Um, And it's not to say, look, there are some that will come out and they're very clear on what they want to do. And I still and I think that's fine. Expose yourself to it. Start the you know, start the journey, get into the ladder, you know, uh, shadow by all means, but also spend that time, you know, in the NHS for about two years, I'd say. At least. Yeah, I remember I did a Q&A on my Instagram about a week ago and a few questions that I got was from undergraduates asking me for advice on what to do on social media and what kind of uh, sort of page should they have what kind of content they should be creating to do with aesthetic dentistry and I was like look the first my literally one and only recommendation to undergrads right now is just to focus on graduating everything else will come afterwards you have so much time right now honestly just focus on graduating because that in itself is pretty stressful like exams and managing your clinical and the theoretical um, stuff that goes into final year for example that in itself is a is difficult enough so you don't need to be on social media you don't need to be creating content just graduate (laughs) that's all you need I mean yeah I mean let's take a moment because we we both know how social media has its plus points and lots of beneficial aspects but and a big but is that it, it it has a particularly challenging impact on the brain uh, and definitely adds an element of stress to an already fast-paced life that a dental student has. So now that they're now they're looking at you know well-established dentists, they're looking at maybe even newly graduate dentists who are getting into branding themselves and doing this mm. and that. Undergrads are beginning to to think already about when I come out, I'm going to brand myself as this that. And I, I again, I don't see anything wrong with it. But what does concern me is, is it distracting them mm. from the from getting really from focusing on how good their root canal is and whether they've sealed the apex you know the bread and butter of dentistry that attitude towards high quality work that's what's going to make them successful not the good branding and the logo and how many followers and you know whether they're an insta dentist or a dental it's the high quality work that's going to lead to patient satisfaction so um I think, yeah, I'm glad we're, we're touching on this um, because I think this is really responsible messaging in the era we're in now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of social media, uh, mm. I know you are very influential on social media and your work is incredible. And that's the first thing I came across is that, I, like I said, you're very unique in that you do dentistry and facial aesthetics, both advanced, both to an incredible standard. Mm, How would you say you. social media has impacted your practice um, and what you do now? And how did you start? Because it was a long time ago and it wasn't common practice for dentists yeah. to be on Instagram when you started. Mm. My Instagram journey has been a really interesting one. And it's definitely been, uh, I think I have to give it credit because it's helped me build my list and build my business. But by the same token, it can be really challenging because once you have realized its value and that you have built a list from it and that you have I mean when patients come in and they say how was your holiday and how are your kids (laughs) and I really got connected to you because of the way that you talk about your treatments or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be I realized gosh like it's built so much trust before they've even come in this is a lot more value than I ever really thought it was going to be when I first started it and it's made um, it's made the work a little bit more exciting in that sense because of that familiarity before patients even you know they literally sit there and they know who I am, what I'm about, you know, and and there's that rapport building is much easier. 
But as I said, along with that comes this pressure to then keep that up. And as I've become busier with being a mother of two children and busier in my clinic, it's now also my business and just the general uh, you know, commitments that I, and that I take on, it's become a challenge to keep up. And there's this internal pressure of, I should keep it up. But actually, I need to use my time really wisely today. Mm. I need to do things on my to-do list that are really pressing. So I'm not going to be able to post. And what that then means is that I've accepted now that my growth on social media, I think, has slowed down a little bit over the last maybe two years since I've had my second child. And I've realized the, how important balance is and how much other pressing things really do need to take over. Um, and it's had to take a little bit of a back seat. So any posting I do now is in a very small pocket of time that I've said, oh, I really should. You know, I've got the picture. Let me just do it. But I'm not focusing on it like I used to. And so my growth has plateaued. I think it's just growing a little bit. It's slower now. And I think for some dentists that would really get to them that, you know, um, there is this pressure to keep growing, growing, growing. But what I have found is that it's so important to ground yourself and say, but what's my why? Like, do I really have to? Is it about the number of followers? Or is it just about actually you've got a, a diary that's booked up for the next five months. Mm. People who are there want to be there. They're following you because they want to see what you're about. It's not about the numbers, et cetera. So that's really important, I think, to understand that there's a journey with social media. When you've got the time, go for it, you know, post, grow, et cetera. But when there are other things in life going on that are more important, it's okay. I mean, I know dentists who are also mothers and facial estheticians who are also mothers. and they're still, they're still really driven on social media. And I, 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 I don't know how they're balancing it because it's a real big challenge. But for me, I know the impact of doing that would be that something's got to give. So mm. um, I can't do it all. And I accept that, you know, it slows down a bit and that's absolutely fine. So my influence is, um, is um, I mean, I don't know. I, it's just it's interesting to hear, but I, don't, I, I never really regarded myself as someone particularly influential on social media. But I think you are right because I do get, you know, the messages of newly graduated dentists or dentists who've been working for maybe even 10 years now want to get into facial aesthetics, want some advice, they're following like mm. the journey. And, and I see that there is, uh, that it can, it can inspire many. Um, and I value that. And what then comes with that is that there's this feeling of, I need to be responsible about what I post. And in, in other words, I'm not going to make everything look like it's uh, glamorous all the time. I'm trying mm. in any case to make it look real, like I missed lunch today. It's not all easy. Uh, you know, a couple of times I posted about the challenges of motherhood because I know there are lots of working moms and they're thinking, how is she doing it all? You know, and it, and it can make, this is the thing about social media and we both know this. And I think anyone who's been on social media long enough knows this. It's like a highlight reel and it can very easily make others feel inadequate because of what people are displaying. Um, and so from time to time, I will I will show those aspects and remind. And when I do Q&As and people ask, I, I'm really open. Um, it doesn't serve anyone to make it look like everything is done all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I try to use it responsibly, knowing that there is an element of influence there. Yeah, I think people need to realize that there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes with maintaining a social media channel. And, yeah. you know, there's a certain standard that you want to maintain. It's not just a case of let me post anything. You want yeah. to 
you want your post to, to bring value um, to someone, yeah. be it dentists, be it colleagues or patients. So it's not just a case of posting. And I think it's easy to get bogged down in vanity metrics like followers or likes and things like that. But honestly, what mm-hmm. I always say, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think what I realized early on was that there's always going to be somebody who has more followers, who has more likes. So there's literally no point in just counting the numbers. You just need to, because you'll be surprised what kind of influence you're making. Um, Even if you have a low like count or low followers or low growth rate. I mean, I know with, for example, with me, my, uh, my um, particular passion lies in TikTok. And I know when I've been quiet on there, the growth is very, very slow and it's sometimes even negative. Uh, because it's a very mm. fast-paced um, sort of platform and you have to keep up constantly mm. people there's people that post like 10 videos a day and I and they grow by millions mm. of followers every day I obviously can't maintain that mm. so I just need to be realistic mm. about what I'm about and what I'm gaining from it and I think honestly even if you bring one or two patients from social media or even colleagues or even because it's not only does it bring patients but it also connects you to to colleagues in the profession And I think that's very, very important. So I think once in a while, we all need to just check in with ourselves to make sure if it's worth it Mm. and just just recap what it's brought you. Because for someone like me, for example, everything that I've achieved on social media or a lot of things like meeting yourself, like the podcast and things like that, these would never have been possible Mm. without um, uh, me being active on social media. So as long as it makes sense, then you shouldn't really get bogged down is in the vanity metrics and in the numbers. It's just the general grand scheme of things and looking at the bigger picture at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, it it would be so much easier if it was a case of just reading out posts all the time. Mm. But it's like you said, you want to make the post of value. You want it to mean something. Um, And I know that sometimes people just post for the sake of, I need to post, I need to grow, I need to post, I need to grow. And this doesn't interest me at all. when you post and this is I think what connects by the way that sense of when patients know who you are and what you're about they can mm. they're, each post has value mm. they're going to be engaged in going through your profile nicely otherwise if it's just post post that has no value I think yeah you might grow followers because they're like oh she's posting regularly she'll be entertaining but I don't think that it's it's going to connect people to you necessarily unless you're providing some certain type of value and again this depends on who you want your audience to be I find, for example, a lot of my patients are very hot on safety. They're quite cautious, but it's no doubt that that's what I'm going to attract because I tend to talk a lot about safety. I talk about facial ultrasound nowadays, but I've always been talking about safety and anatomy and, you know, and the, um, the, the problem with re- lack of regulation in the facial aesthetic industry and all of that. So my patients are aware that that's something that, it, that I am interested in and that I care about. Um, and also that I'm interested in to a degree public education and letting people know what they otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to know. Um, So there are now there's now kind of a movement in facial aesthetics where a lot of doctors are kind of talking about the problem with regulation but there was a point where it was minimally spoken about and that's where you know that's when I started to speak about it. Um, So I think it's it's much more widespread now the knowledge about it but that's kind of what gave me the sense of a reward from social media it was the fact that I am serving Otherwise, mm. it just doesn't really, it's not particularly rewarding if you're just posting for the sake of it. It needs to carry some sort of meaning. And, and that's the case for me. So for me, it's like you said, I continuously reevaluate. Is it worth it? Am I delivering something worthy? Um, am I connecting to a certain cohort of people? Um, there's a certain, like, there's a certain element of it is just but before and afters, as you've seen, which is just kind of maintaining what I've always done. Mm. 
but then there's the general messaging throughout the um, the captions and the stories, you know, outside of before and afters. And that I think that's more valuable than before and afters alone. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination. It does take a lot of work. You need to weigh up payoff and how much what's what's at cost there in terms of your time. Time is a huge thing. Um, and you need to use it wisely. We only have 24 hours in the day, more commitments we have, we need to be more um, selective and make a choice about how we use it. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll end on, on, on that question on the note that it does definitely carry a lot of value. And like you said, it's, it's not just that it builds lists and, and brings patients in. In fact, that was really never something that was my aim. It just happened organically. But the connecting with different um with different colleagues and networking and a lot of opportunities can come from that that wouldn't have otherwise happened and so many people know each other just because of social media it's amazing yeah. you know it's really connected uh, the industry um so now you you know you bump into people and you're like I know you from Instagram it's amazing let's catch up and I think that that's something that's uh, that social connectedness that has come through Instagram is mm -hmm. a definite positive um so yeah there's, there's both we just need to be really mindful and aware yeah because as we know dentistry can be a very lonely profession and if you're just stuck in your surgery with your nurse seeing your patients day to day it can get a bit lonely so just staying connected and and you know even sharing certain struggles and knowing that everyone's going through that is is very refreshing and valuable let's talk about balancing it all I know you're very honest mm -hmm. about it being difficult and you know having to prioritize certain things but being a dentist being a facial aesthetician being a practice owner being a mother all on their own are very very tricky things to do now putting them together is even trickier to do and honestly I, I don't understand how people do it I think you're magicians because I honestly am it's difficult enough. I work part-time and I think it's difficult enough managing that and, and some sort of a personal life, a social life and, and a career and having goals and, you know, yeah. getting through your to-do list and drinking enough water and exercising yeah. and wearing SPF is all difficult <laughs> enough as it is. How, yeah. how do you do it? What, what, what have been your, your struggles and how did you overcome them to, to get to where you are today? Oh, I think this is an ongoing thing. I don't think it'd serve anyone if I said I've got an ideal balance. I think that I'm still forever striving for a sense of equilibrium. What I have found and kind of my conclusion um, so far is that um, you can't do everything. You can have a lot. You can do a lot, but you can't do it all at the same time. You can't have necessarily everything at the same time. So there is an art to managing all this. And it's that you literally are pressing pause and play, pause and play on different aspects of life. Um, and sometimes things will feel a little bit balanced and then something will happen. You think you've nailed it and then something will happen and the, the balance gets tipped. And it's about identifying that that's happened and restoring balance. Um, it's about um, compartmentalizing so that life's not just one big blur so you know I've really had to sit down and it's not automatic I've really had to sit down and think how to structure my life and my weeks um support is a big thing as a mother a working mother so I really value that that's a huge thing without which I wouldn't be able to do what I do so um that's key for our working mothers to have a good support network um and working part-time if I did work full-time something with my children would give I don't know if that's the case for every mother but I can definitely say that from my from what I've observed of my kids you know my my eldest daughter is uh, turning six in about a month and she has 
a younger sibling, and that means I need to divide myself between both of them so that they both get attention. I need to do homework with her. I need to check in that she's happy at school. I need to, to be available enough, to be present enough, to be intuitive, to see if her moods have changed, if something's going on at school. All of that can't, can't happen if I'm just there, you know, for one or two hours a day. Um, so I've, I've realized that over time. I've actually realized that more as my eldest has get, gotten older. When she was a toddler, her needs were more basic. She needed love, mm. hugs, food, you know, bathing, um, cuddling, rocking to sleep, you know, singing. And that was fun. But I didn't realize how much actually comes later, which is the whole being in tune with what's going on at school and the homework and the educational needs and the development and everything else. And actually, I've, I've had to cut back my hours after realizing those needs have arisen. And also after the second child came and now I need to divide myself between the two. So the balancing has, it, for me, working part time is key. Um, and I'm, I'm almost afraid. I know that, you know, my reception says you need an extra day. You know, and there is that pressure um, with the waiting list and so on. But I am, I'm afraid to do it because I'm just mm. thinking, well, what's going to happen at home? Um, so when I do it, I'll do it gradually again, just one day, maybe half a day extra and so on. And I think that's the beauty of Dentstream. We're very, very lucky that we can transition back in after having children test out what works for our life, do a day, do half a day, do a day, and kind of work out the balance as the journey evolves. Um, because as things happen in life and you're, Chap new chapters start to arise in life you know you might need to make adjustments and we're you know not all professions are able to do that so easily but we're very fortunate to be able to mm -hmm. do that so I think using the fact that we have that choice in dentistry I think we should use it um, because only then I think you are able to be present in different aspects of life one of my key kind of underpinning rules that I, I, I set to myself is be present whatever it is you're doing so if you're at work you're at work if you're at home you're at home that means if I'm with the kids my Instagram is not with me my phone I probably don't even know where it is they've probably taken my phone you know until I find it and take it off them but the, you know I'm not interested in and I used to try and do both you know oh let me just check an email so on it never worked hmm. you know they'd get kids feel that you're not present and hmm. you need to be present so that's something that I've realized. It's a big lesson I've taken away. Um, and and where, where I mean, uh, another key thing is to um, realize that, and especially as a mother, is that when you're a business owner, you've got a clinic, you've got kids, you've got patients, you realize how pivotal you are in making all these areas of your life work well. And to function well, you need to take care of yourself. And it's very easy to get stuck in a busy trap where actually you're giving, 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 and you've actually completely neglected your own needs. And what ends up happening is you burn out, you're pouring from an empty cup, you're fatigued, and you're not, you're not giving 100%. So one of the other things I've learned in this journey now for the last few years, especially actually over the pandemic, something's kind of, I've had a few light bulb moments to realize that I really need to take care of my own mind, my own routine, my nutrition, you know, whatever it might be, because that's the key to me being able to give well. And, you know, a nice analogy is that a car cannot run without a fully functioning engine. And, you know, your engine needs to be watered, oiled, uh, and, you know, working to its highest power to, for the car to run really well and for long speeds and so on and so on. Yeah. And I think a working mother is an engine. You need to feed it. Its soul needs to be, you know, nourished. 
So what I do is I make sure that in my days off, I really have to compartmentalize that day. So for example, today is Monday. Mondays are all about me finishing off a few things on my to-do list so they don't weigh me down. And then, um, and my to-do list is never ending. So there has to be a stop off point. So in the to-do list, there are priorities as well. So I section mm. them. So it doesn't all have to be done in one day. But there might, today, for example, I have three top things that I need to do. And exercise. So I need to go to the gym after this podcast. That's the plan is go to the gym and do about 30 to 40 minute run. Um, and then I'm taking my laptop with me and I will sit down. So I go to a gym that has like a, an eating area and I will sit down and I'll probably have lunch there after the workout and um, go through a few more things that I need to do. And then I'm picking up my daughter and then it's shut off everything else and it's just mm. daughter time. So even the days off actually don't feel like a totally chilled out day off. It's, you know, I've got to kind of compartmentalize it. And there was a point where I kind of used to go with the flow on my days off mm. and then realized that by five o'clock, I was running a circle trying to get everything done for the kids. And I'm thinking I didn't get this done and that done. I don't feel great about myself. So I've had to, I've had to do it like this. So um, yeah, it's busy. It's a busy life and it's tiring because even the days off don't feel like days off, but it's the only way. If you're going to, if you're going to have so many compartments to life, you just have to use your time really wisely. Yeah, I agree. I think it's even with the most basic things that I am trying to juggle at the moment, I think it really helps to compartmentalize because if you sit here and think about everything that you need to do, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and just not do anything. So if you think about everything that you need to do, for example, I think you just sit and procrastinate and maybe cry or eat a box of Harry Bros. So I think it's it's important to compartmentalize and say, right now, this is what I'm going to do. And then if you treat it bit by bit in little um, segments, then you can get them done easier and, and don't get overwhelmed. And I completely agree with you. I think whatever you're juggling, it's very, very important to take care of yourself first. Like even going back to advice to um, dental students, I, I always say don't revise so much remember to look after yourself because you're not going to be at your best and you're not going to perform at your best if you're not taken care of, if you're not rested, fed, looked after emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, So I think that's very, very important, whatever you're doing in life, whatever you want to throw into the mix and and just try and balance. Mm, 100%. Yeah, well said. Nice conclusion. Um, You know, I think that the faster life gets, the more we need to realize as well that more opportunities and being on social media as well means a lot of opportunities might come your way if you're mm. if you know if you've got a particularly a particular audience and um with that if you're a high like a high functioning kind of person high achiever you're kind of used to saying yes to things because you want to take up opportunities but there's a danger with that because you really need to sit down sometimes and think well if i take that on I'll be doing that, you know, that presentation for a good few nights at a time that's just before my daughter's birthday. That's going to be a really stressful week, probably going to burn out. Something's got to give. So I really reevaluate things now, something I never used to do before because I used to be much more of a yes person to a lot of things. Mm. And now I realize what's at stake. I have this big thing of what's the impact. And also, does this, who does this serve? Mm. Um, and am I saying yes, because this feeds, you know, does it feed my ego or mm. is it actually going to serve people? So I, I think about things a lot more now. Um, and um, I think there's an art to saying no to certain things. Like you need to be quite mindful in life, not to, to set certain boundaries for yourself and, and yes, take opportunities, but really evaluate if they serve because otherwise they could just be taking you away from what you know really does serve you. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was stuck in this uh, sort of pattern of saying yes to every single thing that came my way. And at a time it was really, really exciting. And it still is even being asked, honestly, I get an adrenaline rush and I get very excited about certain things that I'm asked to do. But yeah. when it comes to the reality of doing it, I realized that mm -hmm. I don't have time to do it. Like, for example, with mm -hmm. um, TikTok and certain brand sponsorships will come through where, where they'll send you a product and ask you to make a video. And I'm very you know, used to saying yes to everything. I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do that. That would be really good for X, Y, Z. And then it comes down to doing it. And they say, and with social media, because it's very fast paced, you'll often find that the deadlines are very, very close. So they'll send me a product and ask me to churn out a video in a day. And I realized that actually I can't, I can't do that because I'm in clinic yeah. or because I have all these other things yeah. to do. So as you rightly said, I'm now much more mindful mm -hmm. about what I say yes to. And, and don't be ashamed of saying no. I think that's what I yeah. used to, you know, I, I was um, of the mindset that if I say no, then everybody will forget about me and no one's going to ask me anything ever again. But I think yeah. just prioritizing what you say yes to and then don't, yeah. don't, don't be afraid to say, actually, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm very sorry. I have too many commitments on and I can't deliver in time. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. They'll appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. You know, I it's agree. much better than not delivering something and just letting people exactly. down, including yourself. So well, exactly. Yes. Because what tends to happen is, you know, if you, if you've got high integrity, you're going to try and be your word, but yeah. at the cost of exhaustion and, um, uh, and so you have to be careful not to say yes in the first yeah. place unless you can really deliver yeah. that and yeah. I think the quality of the work suffers if I was to turn out a video you know in, in 30 seconds yes I can do it but it won't be true to myself it won't be a good quality video and the perfectionist in me won't mm. be happy so yeah. unless I can deliver something to a certain standard I, I don't think it's worth doing because it's in the long run mm. I think it's going to be more detrimental than than beneficial yeah yeah they've been actually it comes to mind is there was a, there's a couple of products that um, from a really amazing skin company that they wanted to send me in exchange for a video, and I didn't I didn't go for it because I just knew that I would not get around to doing this video. Mm. And now I'm a little bit kicking myself because I really want those products, um, but you know I'd rather buy them than be bound yeah, to yeah. having to make this video when I don't actually physically have the time right now. This all may change in another two three years. When actually the old, the younger one is in school, and there's a little bit more, and so I think I'll have reached a point in the clinic where I've kind of done everything I needed mm. to do, and things are kind of running themselves. You know, and things may change, and that's how life is. It's in chapters. Um, but mm. I'm definitely very much aware of where I am now, and kind of really respect my boundaries now for where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Zaina, for joining me today. There's still, I could go on for hours, but I'm quite mindful of the time and we're trying to keep the podcast under an hour. But thank you so much for joining yeah. me today. I think this was a very valuable uh, episode and I'm sure lots of people will enjoy it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you again, Shadi, and I'll catch up with you very soon. really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things I know I certainly did and as always don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manucheri I always love hearing your responses and if you have any requests for future podcast episodes please let me know there I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular as always there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon.